Hey, this is Rondé Barber, former Virginia Cavalier, now class of 2023 Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the show. I am Chris Graham. This is the Jerry Ratcliffe Show, and I am the uh, lucky guy who gets to co-host with uh, the Hall of Famer Jerry Ratcliffe, and we're going to talk a lot of UVA football. We'll talk some UVA basketball recruiting towards the end of the show here. Uh, but Jerry, first, uh, here we are recording on Tuesday. Coach Elliott, Coach Tony Elliott has had his uh, his weekly press conference with reporters uh, to, you know, I guess, look back to week two, the JMU loss, and then look ahead to week three, short week with Maryland, uh, Virginia going to Maryland College Park on Friday night. Um, maybe first off, just some of your impressions, highlights of the press conference, uh, you know, anything that the coach Elliott had to say that stood out to you? Uh, wasn't a lot of stuff that jumped out. Uh, um, I mean, as expected, Tony Musket is going to be day-to-day, but I fully expect him to probably start against Maryland. Uh, he is back fully in practice. Uh, he's been able to make all the throws, and uh, I, I, it seems like he's in good enough health to play, which uh, comes as no surprise, really. I mean, you, Tony's philosophy is the same as most head football ball coaches that you don't lose your position, your starting job due to injury. Uh, So when you're healthy enough to resume play, you resume as the starter. Uh, Certainly he could play his way out of it, and uh, they could go to Anthony Calandria, the true freshman. But, uh, you know, as he told us Saturday, that Musket, under an emergency situation, would have been available to play Saturday. So uh, he had his range of motion and his shoulder had improved greatly. So I believe, uh, I believe he'll probably be starting against the Terps on Friday night. And I don't know what kind of a short leash he might be on, but I would think that if he can't move the team, that they would switch to Calandria to see if they could get something positive going. Um, he said it's probably the healthiest the team has been so far this season. So uh, I know they got uh, Sackett Woods back and a couple other guys. Um, so in that regard, I think they'll be in uh, in good health. And he uh, he said that I thought it was interesting that he said that looking back on Saturday coming out of the storm delay that he didn't, as he looked back on it, he didn't do a very good job of, getting his team ready to play those final 12 minutes. And as a result, uh, what could have been a very positive win that they could build some momentum off, momentum off of turned into a, uh, an extremely disappointing loss to see them blow an 11 point lead with 12 minutes to play and had all the momentum going their way and, and just let JMU off the hook. Did he address? Uh, we both wrote about this, Jerry. So I'll ask. I, I I've skimmed through the the transcript. Um, I was looking more for quarterback stuff, and I thought it was interesting. Nobody asked directly who's starting a quarterback, but um, uh, the the comments he made after the game about um, phones in the in the locker room during that break. We both wrote about this, uh, and, and and you know both in the context of what he had to say about uh, his you know whether it was a throwaway line or not. He, said that he had to focus on keeping his guys off their phones during that an hour-plus-long delay, whereas Kurt Signetti, the JMU coach, 
uh, he he seems to run a tighter ship over there. <laughs> did, did Coach Elliott address that at all today? Uh, that, that did not come up during the press conference, which I was kind of surprised. Um, I know it, at least on my Twitter account and some other um, platforms, that has been a very hot topic over the weekend and even into today. Fans were very upset about the what they perceived as a lack of discipline in the locker room. If he was spending all of his time getting guys off their cell phones, instead of focusing on how to win the game, then um, that, that's not a good look. And uh, even if that is what happened and he said it did, I, we don't know to what degree, but uh, I think he probably learned a lesson there as a, young head coach that you keep those kind of things behind closed doors. You don't announce it publicly to the media and to your fan base. So um, it, 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 the appearance is horrible for, for um, what he's trying to accomplish. It looks like that the, there's a, well, it's a lack of discipline in the locker room and a lack of focus. And they certainly played that way when they came back out for the final 12 minutes of the game, as opposed to JMU, who Signetti told us that he spent his entire hour and whatever working not only on X's and O's and finding ways to win the game strategically, but also worked on his team psychologically. He felt like that the break helped them, and I think it was a tremendous help to them because of the way they approached it. And he told his team, look, it's simple. We go out and we score, we make a stop, we score again, we win the game. Now, it's not as simple as all that because you got to execute and count on Virginia coming out flat and not playing well and not executing. But that's what happened. And, you know, Virginia had scored 21 points unanswered before the, the storm. And had the storm not have come, they had JMU on their heels. I think they might have blown JMU out for all we know, but I think they certainly would have won. And instead, they yanked uh, victory from uh, the defeat from the jaws of victory, as they say in reverse. And so, um, that that's something that they're going to shake their heads off, uh, uh, and, and it could come back to haunt them if if they do get anything turned around as the season goes. Yeah, it's hard to figure that this would have been an upset if Virginia would have held on to win. Uh, yeah. JMU was a six-point or, or more favorite, depending on which uh, Vegas betting line you looked at. Um, but Virginia, yeah, they were up 35-24. I, I, I fully agree, Jerry. It felt like to me in the stadium there that, I mean, it, what Co Coach Signetti said after the game, which was his team was tired, they maybe were lacking in confidence, uh, and so both X's and O's and psychology wise, he was able to, he and his staff were able to use that, that hour plus to, to, you know, get things back in the right direction for their side. Whereas the Virginia side, just, just didn't seem to have that focus. Um, you know, one thing among the things that stood out, I mean, that's a 30, 36, 35 game and both teams had 395 yards total offense. You can't get much closer than the way that game played out on the field um, stats wise and otherwise. Uh, among the things that stood out to me, Jerry, is this is a surprise. Coach Elliott, uh, and then when he hired Des Kitching to be his offensive coordinator, 
He came in a couple of years ago saying, we need to run. We need to run the ball. We're going to be a, as close to a 50-50 team as possible. And when we started examining his record at Clemson, where he was the play caller for seven years, uh, you know, he had great quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but they still ran the ball an awful lot uh, to make those quarterbacks even better as a result. Um, last year actually was a small step back. They actually ran for slightly less per game than they did the year before under Robert and I, when he, and Robert and I, the offensive coordinator under, under Bronco Menhall barely ran the ball. Um, and this year, another big step back. When you look at the, the first game, the loss to Tennessee, Virginia gained 117 sack adjusted yards, uh, on, on the ground, uh, last week, 43 sack adjusted rushing yards, um, Coach Elliott talked at length today about the the running game and O line and how this can all play together. Um, what what was the sense you got from from hearing him talk about what they can do to shore that up? Well, I, I'll tell you what the the difference is between Clemson and here is that Clemson had a big, nasty, physical, experienced offensive line chock full of guys who are playing on Sunday. Um, Virginia doesn't have any of those guys, and I don't know if any of these guys will develop into that. Some of them are pretty young and may have that kind of potential. But at this point in time, um, this offensive line, and I asked Tony about this at the press conference today. I said, I knew we we all knew headed into the season that this was going to be a challenge to say, and that might be an understatement, but. I asked him if he had any hope of these linemen coming together um, at some point during the season. And he said hope. And he was talking about uh, that he has seen them at times, I guess, during training camp or practice where all five or six linemen were on the same page, cohesive, and he said it was like poetry in motion. Now, we haven't seen that in a game yet. If we have, I, I haven't noticed. And he also talked about it's the most developmental position on the team other than quarterback, which is true. Uh, it usually requires the, the smartest guys on your team because it's it's a very complicated position to play, all the, all the spots on the offensive line. And – he just says we've got to get better, and you know it's. I guess it's just a matter of more reps through the season, more game experience, and coaching him up through the fundamentals, and hoping that at some point it clicks. But he also mentioned that that's it's one position in terms of recruiting that you just can't miss on because, you know, you can sign a linebacker or a tight end, and if they don't work out at that spot, they can move to another spot. Running backs can play wide receiver or move over to defense. Safeties and stuff can move. Corners can move, et cetera, et cetera. If you're an offensive lineman, there's nowhere else to go. Um, so, you know, you're, you, you're stuck with what you recruit, and – uh, they definitely need some upgrades there, and you know we'll see how that goes in recruiting in the future. But uh, right now, I, I, you know this offensive line ranks has caused Virginia to rank near the bottom of the FBS in a lot of categories, 
offensive rushing, for example, they rank 124 out of 132 teams with 56 and a half yards rushing per game, 1.51 yards per carry average. Um, that's just the beginning of the problem. They are number 125 in sacks allowed with eight as compared to Duke, whose offensive line hasn't given up a sack all year. And it makes me wonder if Duke can recruit a solid offensive line that it can run with and protect the passer. Why can't Virginia? What What are the standards that Duke Duke has the same standards as Virginia's last time I looked. Um, tackles for loss, in other words, tackled in the backfield. Virginia is number 131, Chris, out of 132 teams. 21 tackles behind the line of scrimmage. So if you're doing that kind of stuff, it's hard to beat anybody unless your quarterback is having a, a brilliant day, which – Anthony Calandria did, and if he had not played well, uh, it might have been a route as some of the JMU, JMU fans predicted, but um, Calandria kept them in the game and gave them a chance to win. They scored enough points to win. In this case, the defense really let them down, and um, the offensive line just, like you said, uh, they want a balanced attack. We haven't seen that, and I, you know, until this offensive line gets its act together, we're not going to see it. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family-owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big-time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. You know, that that performance, that output, 35 points, uh, is the high watermark to this point for the Tony Elliott era. That's only 12 games. Um, Virginia had scored 34 in the opener last year against Richmond, so 35 against an actual FBS team in, in JMU. Uh, and it's with a freshman quarterback. So, um, uh, you know, good work for Calandria. You mentioned the defense. Uh, you know, what's it's been surprising. Um, 42 and a half points a game given up by this unit so far this year. And the run defense on uh, Saturday in week two um, got my attention. Uh, uh, JMU ran for 168 sack adjusted rushing yards on 33 carries, 5.1 yards per carry. And I mean, I, when I started looking, I, I looked in depth at the uh, the pro football focus numbers. You can look at uh, you know direction, what, what basically which gaps they ran through. Uh, Eighty of those yards were just up the a gap, uh, basically just hand the ball off and run over center. Um, Eighty yards on ten attempts, um, and 
So, you know, the rush defense, I, I thought the defensive line would have, would, have, would have been a strength for this team this year. That's the unit that seemed to bring back the most guys. Um, the secondary, we knew there were some questions, and we were, we're seeing the questions not being answered quite yet uh, when you look at some of the numbers back there. But, yeah, that, you know, it's hard to win games. You talked about the offensive line. When both of your lines are struggling, it's really hard to win games. That's where the game is won. Oh, no doubt about it. And Tony Elliott confirmed that today, um, mentioning that uh, I don't remember his direct quote, but he essentially said that, that there, he was disappointed that their two main goals, their keys to win this game coming in was to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, to be able to run the ball on JMU, and to be able to stop JMU's running game. And they did none of that. And uh, I'm telling you, man, if, if you can't close down the A-gap, then you've got worlds of problems. Because if, if uh, the other team is successful running the A-gap, they can do anything they want to on offense. And there's not much you can do about it. Uh, everybody that's ever coached football will tell you that you can't control the A-gap. You've already lost the football game. And so um, – that's that's very revealing right there, uh, those PFF numbers that you researched. Good research on your part. And um, it, it, it's been really disappointing, I think, this defense. It was supposed to be the stalwart of the team, uh, something that maybe could hold down the fort until the offense developed. And these guys have been a, just a massive disappointment so far in the the fact that when JMU came out, Chris, uh, after the storm and marched down the field 80 yards twice in a row and without a whole lot of difficulty and, you know, aided by a couple of really crucial penalties by Virginia on that uh, winning scoring drive, um, that was vastly disappointing because uh, they just – ran through Virginia's defense like it was, was Swiss cheese. And then uh, you, you look at that winning touchdown pass, there was nobody near that receiver. Nowhere close. And we're not, we didn't see that last year very much. Uh, this defense seemed a lot more fundamentally sound and didn't give up the explosive plays. I think this defense so far after two weeks is one of the worst in the country in surrendering the explosive plays. It wasn't supposed to be like that. And, um, you know, they're, they're number 116 in the country and total defense. They're giving up almost six yards per play, 447 yards per game, and number 123 in defense against the run, um, giving up 227 yards on the ground, uh, almost five and a half yards a carry after two games and going into college park, Chris, if they, if they don't shore up those numbers, it's going to, it could be another long night against the Terps. You know, I, I, it's a small sample size still. We've only played two games of the season uh, and most schools have only played two games this season. I, I guess a couple have played three because of the week zero uh, start a few weeks ago, but looking at Tennessee uh, and what they did this weekend, they struggled to beat an FCS team, Austin P that's 0-2, uh, that game was 23-13 in the fourth quarter in Neyland Stadium. 
you know, Virginia had so much trouble in week one moving the ball, had 201 yards total offense. Austin P had 360 yards total offense. They threw for 260 uh, in that game. Uh, and, and that despite sacks, uh, Tennessee, just like Tennessee's front put pressure on Tony Muscat and then Calandria uh, in his little mop up role at the end of the game. Uh, I believe there were eight sacks by, by Tennessee in that game of Austin P. But I mean, Austin P hung around. So, you know, we made Tennessee look really good. And, you know, Tennessee fans are now, I, I was, you know, following up with uh, some of their uh, post game coverage from some of their websites and, Fans are uh, up in arms about what what's wrong with Tennessee. We you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, and we looked at that first game and thought, well, that's just a really good SEC team that just you know blew the doors off of us. Now, yeah, switching gears and going up to College Park. Uh, there's a tag of Iloa up there that uh, we got to be paying attention to. A quarterback. Uh, they they score points. Uh, they had 38 in their win this this past weekend over Charlotte, 38-20 win. I think they had 38 in Week One as well. So this Maryland team can put the points on the board. Um, they've been improving the last few years. I think they won seven games last year uh, in the Big Ten. So, you know, they the Maryland fans and the Maryland program looks at this game and says, this is a W for us uh, coming up here in the College Park on a Friday night. Uh, they're expecting they're expecting that. Um, and uh, Maryland is not an easy place for Virginia teams to play, uh, whether it be basketball or whatever, you know, football or whatever sport it is. Uh, that's a tough place to play. Uh, and on a Friday night, I imagine it's going to be even tougher. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I remember back when they were in the ACC and it was Bird Stadium then. I, I think they sold out the rights to us some corporation for the name of the stadium that escapes me but uh that game atmosphere up there didn't used to be that great i, I don't know if it's changed since they left the acc or not but they had a, a lot of problems trying to attract fans to the games and it was it was never an, an intimidating atmosphere but for some reason virginia normally struggled to walk out of there with a win as you pointed out, and, you know, I don't know how good Maryland is. They've beaten Towson and Charlotte. Uh, I think if Virginia had opened the season against Towson and Charlotte, they might be 2-0 and as well, but um, they do have a good quarterback, as you mentioned, to his younger brother who came up there with uh, Lockley, who was Alabama's offensive coordinator and brought uh, – to his brother with him to College Park. He's having a good season as, as expected. He, he threw for 287 against Charlotte and completed uh, 25 of 36 passes. He's uh, supposed to be a pretty cool customer who can hurt you with his arm and his legs. Uh, they have a pretty good run, running back in Roman Hemby who rushed for 162 yards. So that's going to be another challenge for Virginia's defense uh, front seven to try to shut down Maryland's running game. Um, they didn't put much pressure on McLeod from Clemson or uh, uh, JMU this past week. Uh, he had all day most of the time to, to throw his passes. So uh, if they don't put any more pressure than that on on this Terrapin quarterback, I, I struggled to pronounce that last name. <laughs> 
Tagovailoa or something like that. Tagovailoa, and and I will agree with Coach Elliott. The first name is also hard, so (laughs) I'll just say E. (laughs) He calls him Tua just because of his brother. Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game to see what kind of adjustments that Virginia Virginia has going to make in this off week, what the game plan is going to look like. Uh, Charlotte was able to pass for nearly 200 yards on the Maryland secondary. So uh, it'll be, I'll be curious to see what Musket and or Calandria can uh, put together against the Terps. Um, I don't know. I I think this game will probably tell us a little bit more about this Virginia team and what we can expect the rest of the season. Uh, the Tennessee game was kind of an aberration, I think, because nobody really expected them to, to compete very well in that. And and maybe Tennessee got overconfident because it was so easy beating Virginia. Because I, I know you, you talked about the fans were upset over the Austin P game. Well, the players were too. Apparently they had a players-only meeting to try to figure out what went sideways. But um, – uh, in, in the JMU game, uh, it was such a different contrasting game before the storm and after the storm. I think Maryland will tell us a little bit more, as will perhaps the NC State game next week, also on a Friday night. I don't know how we got stuck with all these Friday night games, but uh, I guess TV. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued by Calandria. I really am. I, I know uh, – uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm expecting that if Musket struggles, that they'll go to Calandria and give him a shot to see if he can put some points on the board. And that's that's what I liked about him. He he used his feet. He used his unpredictability. He was able to improv when things broke down. Something you really can't coach. And he kept plays alive with his feet. Uh, wasn't afraid to throw it deep. I think that stunned. JMU to some degree, they weren't expecting that. I think they were looking for this short and intermediate passing game. But this guy came out firing on all cylinders, man. He he has no fear. And I I really like that in a quarterback. And I looked this up, Chris, because I you know, not only did he break the freshman passing record, single game passing record with 377 yards, he crushed it. By over 125 yards, but uh, according to what I was able to find out, there's only been 15 better single game passing performances in, in in UVA history. 15, and eight of those were by Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. The other seven, three was by Ben Kirk, one by Mark Verica, one by Matt Schaub, one by Aaron Brooks, and one by Bryce Perkins. So. This kid, in his first start as a true freshman, was two yards away from being tied with uh, Perkins for one of the top 15 performances of all time in Wahoo history. That, To me, that was, that was very impressive. You know, what jumped out, so many things jumped out to me about him as the game was going on and then since being, you know, going back and, and pouring through the numbers, he – He's not afraid to throw the ball in the tight windows. Uh, he did get one pass picked off uh, as a result of of his confidence in his arm. But you know he 
He hit a lot of guys uh, in tight windows. He also leads guys so well. Um, he had 217, his receivers, I should say, had 217 yards after catch. Um, that says that he's throwing the ball and leading guys to gain more yards. You know, sometimes you can, a lot of times you can complete a pass. And if you, if the ball's behind a guy or too low or too high, you know, they, they get what they got. They, 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 you know, get the yards they got where they caught the ball and that's it. Uh, 217 of his 377 yards were after the catch. You mentioned the, you know, moving his feet and, and, and keeping plays alive. You know, I, I, there could be two plays there. The first play of the third quarter where he kept that play alive and found Kobe pace out of the backfield on a wheel route. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember looking at, you know, I see this guy streaking towards the end zone and I look, I look down at the stat broadcast to see who that was because I, I couldn't see right, you know, with my, with my naked eye with the number of the receiver. And when I saw that it was Kobe Pace, I figured that somebody had entered the information wrong. There's no way he found a wide receiver on that play, but he, I mean, excuse me, a running back on that play, but he did. There was another play in, I think the third quarter where, I mean, it looked like that he drew it up in a, in, in the dirt, him and Paris Jones. He's, yeah. uh, you know, he was just evading a rush. He's running around the backfield and all of a sudden he, he points Paris uh, Jones uh, 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 to, to, to a certain spot. Uh, throws it to him. Jones gains 60 yards on a catch and carry completely out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, th that's the kind of thing, like you said, Jerry, you can't coach that. You can't teach that. Either you got it or you don't. And most guys don't. So that's special. Uh, and, and you just, you, you thank the Lord that you found a guy like that. And then you build around those talents eventually. Absolutely. And, uh, this was brought up on a, on another show earlier, but you know now that they've got him, and if he continues to improve, they've got to worry about keeping him <clears throat> next year because uh, you're from South Florida or Central Florida, and you're having a, a really terrific freshman campaign, starter or not. Don't know how much he'll get to play. We, that's yet to be determined. But uh, the way we're seeing poaching and uh, tampering going on in college football, you can't tell me that there's not going to be some programs down in Florida, and there's a bunch of them, or somewhere down in that vicinity of the country, they're going to come looking for guys like him to jump in and, and be their quarterback. And so that's something that Virginia has to be leery of and uh, also, you know, the transfer portal is a very tempting thing for a kid who wants to win. And if Virginia's season goes haywire, he, he might not want to stick around. And so that's something that they've got to be very uh, attentive to and try to keep recruiting him and some of the other players so they don't lose them through the portal like they lost so many good players last year who we thought we assumed we're just going to stick around and help them build but instead they're wearing uniforms in nebraska and florida state and missouri and iowa and all over the on place yeah that's the challenge now uh for coaches to build a program i mean tony elliott's in year two of trying to to rebuild here and you know, in, in the good old days, which aren't that many years ago, but especially when you go further back, you could say, all right, we got a freshman quarterback. Uh, he's got, you know, even if he only gets this one game, he was 20 for 26, 377, two touchdowns. Uh, he looks like he knows what he's doing. 
you know, if if that's all he gets, then he's hey, we can redshirt him. He's st- we know what he can do. We can redshirt. We still got four years with this guy. We can really build around this guy for the next four years, perhaps. Uh, don't have to rush him into development, and you know, maybe maybe retard his progress as a result of that. And you know, no, no, you can't do that now. You can't you can't assume anything. And and that's the hard thing for Tony Elliott. I mean, there's you know, people are asking me like, okay, so what what building blocks do you see that he's laid out that you can say uh, are going to be there in two or three or four years? And you'd love this you know, that he can build around and, and and have this program when these guys get older, when they're just sophomores and juniors and seniors and redshirt juniors and seniors what can you know they can they can really be good by then you know you'd love to be able to say calendria man that look at that guy what i can't wait till he's a red shirt junior red shirt senior and what can he be doing then yeah he, he might not be there he might not be in school in january much less than four years so um that's that's hard that's just it's a hard reality in terms of rebuilding a, a football program we want to give coaches four or five years to be able to do that but you know, the players themselves make that decision as much as anything. Yeah, it's the world we live in. It's it's just wacky. Um, I mean, we're seeing things we never thought we would see. I, uh, I think the JMU quarterback, uh, McLeod, I, I think this is his seventh year of college football, somebody said. I thought it was just six, but apparently it's seven. I saw another guy the other day on TV he was in his seventh year of college football. I, you know, we haven't seen stuff like that since since uh, post-World War II when guys were – they didn't monitor things so so well <laughs> as they do now. And they, guys were jumping from school to school to school. And uh, maybe at BYU we see that every now and then because of the exemptions they have out there. But – I mean, that's just crazy. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, Friday night is uh, it's a first of two Fridays for UVA football fans. Uh uh, this one up at Maryland in College Park, the old rival up there, uh, old ACC rival. Uh, of course, Jerry and I will both have lots of previews leading up to that. There's some basketball recruiting news, Jerry. I know we had talked about this last week, so give us some updates on uh, how how things are going in terms of visits and that kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, big week coming up. Um, we're almost there. I mean, we're almost at midweek. By <laughs> my gosh, it seems like the weekend flew by, but uh. Come Saturday, uh, they're going to get a second unofficial visit from one of the top 50 juniors in the country, uh, a Caden Lewis, uh, 6'2 combo guard from Sidwell Friends up in D.C. Um, He visited Virginia last season, I believe, during, I think, during football season. And uh, he was offered by Virginia in July. 
Uh, he has already visited Maryland and Georgetown as of late. Uh, he has a visit planned to Florida State next month. And uh, he's been offered by a lot of good schools, St. John's, Providence, Maryland, Penn State, Nebraska, George Mason, FSU. Um, he also plans, and I haven't seen offers from these schools, but maybe they've made it and I haven't seen it, but he's also planning visits to Oregon and Ohio State. Uh, one of the – Virginia started recruiting him uh, sometime during his sophomore year early, early on. I think Jason Williford made some strong – inroads there and he has been in uh pretty constant communication with williford and tony bennett ever since uh he, he likes those guys he likes the staff he likes virginia basketball he can see himself fitting in well he's ranked uh, uh the number 13 or number 10 combo guard in the country uh, consensus and the number two overall prospect in the D.C. area. Uh, he does like the approximation between uh, his home and Charlottesville, which is a whole, only 134 miles, so it's good for him and his family if he chooses to come here. And Virginia is definitely searching for a guard for the 25 class, and he's right in the mix. So, um It'll be interesting to see how this four-star does uh, on his visit here. I'm sure it'll be well. But the big visit this week, Chris, is Thursday by Con Canoople, uh, Virginia's main recruiting target. I don't ever recall Tony Bennett going to these lengths to try to sign a player or get a player committed. It's going to be a really big, Busy, busy week for Canoople. He must have taken a week out of school or something because I, I know he was at Alabama at the football game against Texas Saturday. Um, I'm told he was going to go to Wisconsin and Marquette or, or one of those two or maybe both, uh, maybe Sunday, Monday or Monday, Tuesday. He will be here on Thursday, I believe. And I don't know how long he's sticking around. And then he'll be taking his final visit to Duke sometime Friday or Saturday. So uh, I would expect that by the end of this whirlwind <laughs> recruiting trip, uh, he'll have a better picture of, of where he's going to wind up. To me, it's it seems like it's a Virginia-Duke horse race, but – we don't know that for sure. He's not saying much. But uh, this guy's the real deal, Chris. I've watched a, uh, as much film of him as I, I, I can find. And he's the J.J. Reddick kind of game-changing shooter. And uh, can you imagine him in the lineup with next next year with, with Rhodey and uh, Isaac McNeely? Uh, all three of those guys in the lineup at the same time as the three guys. Three-guard lineup, I mean, there might not be enough points on the board, but uh, scoreboard, but um, I, I think he's a better overall player than J.J. Redick because he does more than just shoot three-pointers. He has a, a really good, strong, all-around game. Comes from a incredible basketball family. His dad 
was a, a solid player. His mom was a solid player. I think he has a couple of uncles that were solid players. And um, uh, I, I wrote in a story, uh, I think last week, that uh, according to a basketball recruiting insider somewhere up in the north uh, who told the Wisconsin um, website that covers the Badgers that uh, this guy said he is, from what he's been told by those around Bennett, that Tony Bennett has never gone to these lengths to get a player before and is calling in every contact that he's ever had, particularly in the state of Wisconsin, to get Con Canoople in an orange and blue uniform next year. So um, what a massive is. I would love to be just a fly on the wall and follow him around for his visit here and just see what it looks like when Tony Bennett rolls out the red carpet. The red carpet, yeah. We've seen red carpets, but this is the red carpet. <laughs> so I, I would love to see what that's like and maybe – Maybe if we're fortunate somewhere down the road, we'll get Canoopal on a podcast and, and ask him what that's like being treated like the King of England or something. <laughs> yeah. We can start to guess. We know what food he'll be having. He'll have some barbecue catered in probably. Uh, uh, unless, unless somehow they've gotten word that he wants, you know, he, he likes something else, but we know, we know the, uh, the food from the fish and pig and, and uh, you know, among among the red, but but the red carpet, yeah, <laughs> I love the way you said that. Yeah, if, uh, he, if he went to Alabama this past weekend, he probably got some barbecue. So it, it, he hadn't had Virginia barbecue yet. So we'll we'll see what that's like. <laughs> see what that's like. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll we'll look for more updates on that, uh, both on the website and then next week when we talk uh, on the on the Jerry Radcliffe show. Uh, what else is going on, Jerry? That's got your attention uh, as we're getting close to. To wrapping up the show, uh, well, not a lot because I, you know, I've been so uh, I've delved so deeply into football. I, I haven't really kept up with some of the other sports like I should have. But uh, I thought it was interesting news that uh, yesterday uh, they announced that Wally Walker's coming back uh, to join the athletic department in a role to ex- explore. Um, where Virginia can go financially and in, in, in athletics and, and brought in a new VAA, VAF director from Georgia as well to uh, help raise money. So it'll be interesting following what happens along those lines over the next uh, so many months and, and see what difference these two fellows can make. Wally Walker, we've had, we, he was so kind to us, uh, I guess sometime last year, Chris, he spent an hour with us on a podcast from his home in Seattle. I, th- I think he has a home here now. Uh, he may still have a home in Seattle. I don't know, but um, one of the best people I've ever known. He's just uh, such a down to earth guy and uh, everything he has touched pretty much uh, has turned to gold. So uh, maybe he can help Virginia in those regards as well. He's one of the most, not just on the basketball court. He averaged 22 points a game and led the uh, Virginia Cavaliers team to its first ACC tournament championship way back in '76. But he's the mo- one of the most accomplished, uh, you know, UVA students, much, or UVA graduates, much less UVA student athlete graduates that you'll ever see. I mean, gosh, from the standpoint of being the Seattle SuperSonics president and CEO, 
Um, the Seattle Storm uh, WNBA team, he had a similar role. Uh, he's been in business for himself. He's got his MBA from Stanford. He served on the UVA Board of Visitors. He's been very successful in business on his own. Uh, on top of being Wally Walker. model. <laughs> oh, yeah. On top of being Wally Walker. I mean, all you know, he, he could have just been Wally Walker and life would have been great, but he's done all those other things. And now he's coming back to his alma mater to try to pitch in and help out. So uh, that's that that is a remarkable story. Maybe may worth getting him on a on a future uh, podcast to to talk about what he's uh, going to be doing on grounds here in the next little bit. Yeah, we'll do that. And you know, it's it's stories like Wally and uh, Don Flo, who I had a podcast with last week. If you haven't listened to that, uh, and you're a Wahoo fan, you you should listen to it because it shows you what these guys can do with a Virginia education. And uh, it really, it really does matter. It's not just a four year. They use this as a sales pitch, and, but it's not a cliche. It's not just four years, it's 40 years. And, and what you do with that diploma once you leave here, because not everybody is going to play in the NFL or be a Wally Walker in basketball. Uh, at some point, all that runs out, even if you do make it. So, uh, if you have that diploma and that kind of smarts, it shows you what you can do with your life and be so successful on so many different levels. And um, you can't say that about every other place that, that you go to school. So uh, if you're a Wahoo fan, you, uh, you ought to listen to the Don Flo thing. Uh, it's got some great stories in there uh, about football and, and not football, but, think uh, if you're a Wahoo, you'll totally enjoy it. Indeed, indeed. Well, Jerry, as we're, uh, I guess we're wrapping up now, uh, let's thank the sponsors who helped make all this possible and make it for our listeners uh, and viewers to be able to access the information uh, without charge. Let's do that. Um, Aberdeen Barn, Virginia's finest steakhouse, great atmosphere, great service, great food. Uh, you see some of the same waiters over there that you've known for years. Such friendly guys that will bend over backwards to make your experience uh, a great one. Uh, if you want to go over there and uh, keep up with whatever games are on, they have a, a lounge area with uh, TVs uh, going so you can keep up with games while you dine there. Otherwise, you can just relax in a great atmosphere and taste some of the best food uh that Charlottesville has to offer. So go by and see Angela and Terry right there off of 29. Uh, also the Good Feet store over at Stonefield, right across from the movie theater. Jonathan Cotton, great guy, NIL Virginia supporter. Um, if you're having any kind of discomfort, standing, walking, running, dancing, whatever <laughs> you may do, um, Go by and see them. They, they have specially designed arches for your feet that they do right there in the store. They can fix you up. And um, even if you don't have discomfort, they can make uh, make it like you're walking on air. So go by and see those people. I'm a customer. I can testify that it's a great product. And also, Roback. Uh, I don't have my doggy on today, but... Uh, uh, another local company, uh, Virginia People, NIL, support the UVA program, Darden School graduates, Charlottesville-based company, sports activewear, uh, men's line, women's line. They have a new UVA gear line. 
uh, go on my website, check them out, get 20% off your first order. It helps us bring you this free content. It helps them grow as a company, and they are one of the fastest growing companies around, as is the Goodfeet store. So uh, please thank all of these great sponsors and tell them you appreciate them bringing you this free content. Jerry, I noticed that that logo a little earlier. Uh, that looks like a Masters logo. Is that uh, is that from Augusta National? It is a Masters logo. It okay, was, <laughs> it was from my uh, last trip down there uh, covering the tournament. And uh, for anybody that's ever been in the Augusta, the Augusta National uh, store there, uh, if you, I, I challenge you, if you can walk in that store and out. Without spending four hundred dollars, I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> you might need the beer after spending four hundred dollars, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, that's uh, that stands out. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, um, for our listeners out there and our viewers out there on YouTube, uh, go to jerryratcliffe.com. Go to augustafreepress.com for the latest on UVA sports. For the Hall of Famer Jerry Ratcliffe, I am fortunate to be Chris Graham. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon.